Welcome back to the Firestarter Podcast presented by Boston Pizza. I'm Ryan Diedrich of CalgaryFlames.com, and we are on the road to the 2020 NHL Draft, uh, a draft I'm sure there will be like no other in the game's history. So uh, we're going to get right into it and kicking off Season 3 here on the pod with a very special guest, the Director of Amateur Scouting for the Flames, Todd Button. Todd, uh, long time no speak. How are things? And uh, I know you've had to wait a little while longer than normal, but we're almost there. Where's the excitement level at uh, as we get closer to the upcoming draft? Oh, it's very high. I was uh, this morning when I woke up, I knew we were having a call. We haven't had a call in a couple of weeks, uh, but it was just, you know, our pre-draft, getting ready for this draft. And uh, my wife said, you're, you're a little giddy this morning. <laughs> I said, yeah, <laughs> we're going to have a call today. We're going to have a meeting. It's, uh, it's draft time. And uh, so, yeah, very excited about it. It's, you know, obviously when you have a, you have a target date, you know what you're doing, you can plan for it. Uh, it lends to that excitement for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously things are very different this year. Among the changes, the draft will be taking place virtually on October 6th and 7th, as opposed to in person in late June. But uh, before we get into the finer details of how that has maybe sort of changed your approach this year, I do want to get your thoughts on the class itself. I mean, we know Alexi Lafreniere is, is going to be taken with the first pick, in all likelihood. Uh, that's currently owned by the New York Rangers. But overall, what would you say is the strength of this year's crop? Well, I think it's, uh, it's I think it's a, I always say it's a good crop. I, I, <laughs> I think our job is to make sure you're drafting good players and you're adding to your prospect pipeline. So we don't have the uh, excuse of, oh, it's not a good crop or it's not deep. Uh, that being said, I, st- I still think it is. I think uh, there's a lot of good players. I think there's, uh, um, after the first maybe 15, 20 picks, it becomes more diverse in position where there's more defensemen involved. Um, there's all types of players. I think one of the things we've talked about a lot, especially in the middle of the dra- middle of the first round and on, and in the second and third rounds is you're going to have to make decisions based on maybe need a little bit more, or, you know, there might be a guy that has very high skill, but a work, or there may be a real high competitive, real intense player that maybe is not as skilled and maybe doesn't fit into your projection as a top six. So we're trying to sort all that out still, but overall, I think there's goalies, I think there's defensemen and I think there's forwards. And our job is to, like I said, to provide the best that we can at each spot we pick at. I think you, know, you kind of took the words out of my mouth there, but I mean, fans and, and prognosticators, we always sort of debate going into a draft. Is it, do you draft by position or is it best player available? Do you have sort of an overarching theme that you'd like to approach the draft with, or does it depend on like a situation that we're entering here being that you have the 19th pick in the first round? Well, I think each draft is different. So obviously as an organization where your needs intersect with the talent level available when you pick, that's where you, you become, that's where you make your pick, right? Um, right? For us, hockey sense, compete, skill, not particularly in that order, but those are the three main criteria we work off of. And then we have some sub criteria and criteria is below that, but those are the three main areas. So um, at 19, I think we were looking, we, were, we really scouted heavily um, for, to figure out if we could come to terms with the, the defenseman, because we thought maybe it's a defenseman, but right. you know, part of an organization and getting better as an organization is, is having free agency and European free agency and college free agency and uh, junior free agency. So I think with the signings of uh, Mackey and Pullman, it took a little bit of onus office off of the amateur staff, as far as the draft and not having to zero in on defensemen. We could basically say at 19, we're taking the best player available. We added uh, Yellison last year as well, the Russian defenseman. So we think we, with those additions and with Valamaki not playing all year, I think we think we got uh, 
we, we don't have to necessarily pick for a position this year. I know we haven't picked a defenseman in quite a while since, since you so, but those signings really make a big difference. And that speaks to how one part of an organization can help another part of an organization. And that's, that's pretty much scouting as a whole, right? You've got to adapt on the fly. Like in this case, the season comes to a halt in March. You think you have a good idea of what the organizational depth chart looks like. And then only a few days later, like you said, those players are added in and sort of change the focus a little bit. But that's it, right? You've got to adapt, whether it's, you know, over the course of months or even at the draft table. Right. And I would say 70-30, we were going to take, uh, we were going to really hone in on defensemen at that pick in the first round, but, and there's plenty of good ones. So it wasn't like we were, we were going to drop off a level, but now we, we can go back and we can say, okay, we got Mackey coming, Yuso coming, um, Pullman, uh, Yellison. So let's, uh, let's just do it the way we normally would, which is best player available at 19 and go from there. I mean, so as we talked about, this is no ordinary year, but I mean, it, tell me how it sort of all unfolded from a scouting standpoint when things came to a pause back in March, uh, where were you at in the process and at what point did you have to kind of start back up again? Well, I came home from Europe. It was a planned trip, uh, planned coming home on March 9th. And uh, I talked to Tree on the, the, I think that was a Monday on the Wednesday. And uh, some teams were shutting their scouts down. And I was like, this is crazy. We can't shut, shut down now. It's the most important time. And then by Thursday, <laughs> the whole world was shut down. It seemed. So <laughs> we had to adapt pretty quick. I was heading back to Europe like three weeks later. We were just planning out our, our playoff schedule because the end of the CHL season was coming, the under 18s. So we had a lot going on and uh, it just ended. And at the time, to be honest with you, I was like, okay, with three weeks and then we'll get back at it. And within two weeks, like the season was over. So we, we, uh, we readjusted pretty quickly. And I think most teams did like you had to be on, on your toes. Right. And uh, we put plans in place. We got all the scouts involved. We did video, we did research, um, I think as far as the season ending in March 9, for sure we missed some, uh, some, key, some key evaluation moments. But I think we have a big enough book on the start of the year and the live evaluations that it's not going to hinder us at all. The biggest thing I think that's part of the evaluation that we're going to miss is the combine part. But sure. we'll, we'll have to, you know, and, and specifically the guys like uh, our, our great strengths crew, like you know, uh, Ryan Van Ass and Adam uh, Selbs, getting in there and watching these players and having a live look at them. So you don't get that. Um, but every team's in the same boat. So we have to look at different ways to do it. And we've, uh, we've approached it and we're, we've done everything we normally would do just via video, via zoom meetings and everything in that sort. So, and lots more videotape, but I think from a scouting perspective, um, I think when you've seen a guy enough live, I think you can pick up stuff on video. You can watch and evaluate that way. I find it much harder if you haven't seen a guy play live to uh, watch him on video and make that evaluation. And kind of on that note, how many in-person viewings do you typically get a year? Uh, well, it depends. So basically I work, I work the list from the top down. So one to 40. So um, by the January meetings, you can narrow it down, but I would, if I'm not, uh, if I haven't seen the top 30, 40 guys, six, eight, 10 times, then that's wrong. But in a situation this year, it was different because we couldn't hone in. So January, say like last year, we knew okay, we're not we're not picking the top ten. So you you move your you move your uh, targets to uh, you know eleven to twenty five or whatever because that would cover a lot of guys. And then you hone in right. on them the second half of the year. So um, not knowing where you're going to pick and if you're going to make the playoffs or not, it was a little bit different this year. But you know, I think at the end of the day, with all the with the 
crossover scouting. And we have an experienced staff, Fred Parker, Jim Cummins, Rob Sumner, that uh, we've been together long enough and the trust levels there, Bobby Hagler in Europe, that we can, uh, we're not like, we're a little bit more area dependent this year because, because of the abrupt end of the season, but it's not going to be uh, a hindrance to how we pick because we have enough uh, overall viewings from the key guys in the organization. Boston Pizza is stepping it up for the playoffs. This means new menu items like pizza flights. They're an epic pizza innovation. Three six-inch pizzas, three dips, any flavors you want, only for a limited time. Plus great deals on beer like a Boston-sized Coors Light and our playoff-sized fish bowls. Whoever thought you'd be able to watch the playoffs from a BP patio in the middle of the summer? So bust out your lucky jersey and come enjoy BP's new pizza flights. Puck drops and patios. It's the playoffs at Boston Pizza. You touched on it there, uh, no scouting combine. I know that's a favorite on the event list for a number of different reasons. It certainly is for me. Um, For those who don't know, uh, you do get a chance to work with the strength and conditioning folks and really evaluate these players from a physical standpoint, but you also get to meet with them and go face to face and just get to know them a little bit personally. So uh, you did mention a few Zoom meetings there, but, but what was the adjustment like and what sort of things did you and your staff do in lieu of that opportunity to get those meetings? So basically, as a rule, we have uh, all we have uh, uh, all our area scouts have to interview every player on their list. Uh, you know, we try and do it before the January meetings. So we have those primary interviews, and then we go into uh, based off those interviews and questionnaires that we distribute to the players and they send back. We have a pretty good book, and then we we uh, when we hone in on the players at the combine. Those are, obviously those are the top players because those are the guys that are invited, right? But as a rule, we've interviewed everybody on our list. So once we have those interviews done by the area guys, there's any concerns, we turn that over to our mental coach, uh, Matt Brown, and he'll talk to players. So at the end, when the season ended, we interviewed uh, Matt Brown, interviewed everybody independently on our list. And then as a group, management group, like we usually do at the Combine, we did that by Zoom too. So from, from that interview process, we've done nothing the same, except it wasn't in person for the, for the group calls but the individuals were all met with and talked to like they usually were that's interesting so humor me for a second and, and let's say things are back to normal uh, you know moving forward and in, in years um, beginning next year and beyond do you ever foresee zoom and things like that becoming more of a common practice when it comes to scouting and maybe in this case getting to know guys so uh when matt brown started we started doing calls by facetime with him um so i think it's two years now so he would he would do it to get a, because obviously when you have a guy that's trained in that profession, he can he can get a little more deeper with the players than sure. you can in a group interview, and they're more comfortable, and he can make them more comfortable. So we were starting on that path anyway because we would do follow ups, and he would do follow ups with FaceTime or a guy in Sweden, and uh, there was there was lots of follow ups. But when you get to the combine and you want to follow up, sometimes it's harder to do that uh, based on uh, geography or the time frame between the combine and the draft. Plus travel, right? So uh, mm-hmm. you might interview a guy at the end of May and get some information where you want more in, more uh, access to that person. And so we've used FaceTime in the past. So it wasn't that much of a stretch. Matt Brown did an unbelievable job doing as many as he did. But at the end of the day, we thought and we think going forward that process will continue and we'll do more Zoom calls with Matt or FaceTime individual as a process during the year than we have in the past for sure. Right. Just more touch points, right? To make contact. Right. And, and, and that probably makes a difference too. When you get to, whether it's the combine or the draft to have a, you know, a relationship sort of pre-baked into what you're going into. Right. Exactly. And you, and, uh, and you have, 
you have your initial area scout interviews, then you have questionnaires, then you have NHL interviews, and then any red flags or any concerns you can have Matt Brown follow up, and then you have the group one. That's a lot of data points on the, on character. And then you do all your research or your intelligence gathering on their backgrounds and their work ethics and their families. And, and you have a lot of data points to make uh, quality decisions. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, you know, Todd, we know the draft is unpredictable, always is every year, but what do you and your staff have to do to prepare for that? And, and how do you handle it in the moment as everything unfolds at the draft table? And does anything change now that it's being done virtually? Um, I don't think so. I think you, like our mantra is you go to the draft table ready, to, ready for all the scenarios that could take place. So the tree has all his trade talks in place and he knows what's going on and he fills us in the possibilities of moving up, the possibilities of moving down. On our list, we know where, we, where we're comfortable moving down to or if there's a guy we want to target up to. So that's all in place. All your strategies are all in place before the draft. So that's, you know, that's on the scouts to get the list in order, to put guys in boxes where you don't want to move out to or you, you're willing to move to without uh, compromising uh, skill level or your level of player. And that's all done ahead of time. So I don't think uh, – um, we've ever been caught off guard that I can remember. And I think uh, a couple of times, like, like tree was really good. Like I remember the, the Dougie Hamilton trade and even the two Dougie Hamilton trades, the one yeah, in the morning yeah. of the draft to get Dougie. And then when we traded him away, like we were all there, we knew what the process was. We knew we were, what we were doing. So it was just a matter of having everything organized and ready to go. So there's no decisions to be made on the fly. You've already made those decisions ahead of time. Right, right. That yeah, totally makes sense. And where were you uh, at with that process? I mean, typically the, the, the list would be done, I don't know, maybe fill me in how far in advance of the draft. And is it done at this point? <laughs> no, it's not done. So typically <laughs> we have our we have our January meetings and our May meetings. Our May meetings are end of the year meetings. And then let's say in our May meetings, you're 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 honed in to 15 guys and you really zero in on those guys because you know your draft spot by then usually right. um, within three or four spots, right? So um, we are right where we would be if we were having our May meetings. Our, if our May meetings were ended. So in the next, uh, we had our first, post May meetings and then we're going to have probably three more calls within the next seven days let's say and we'll have our list done by that time so when we get to October uh, 4th or 5th the day before the draft we'll be ready to go by then because we're not going to have the access to all the scouts at that time that we normally have when you're in person. Well Todd it's time to hook up one of our listeners with a $100 GC to any Boston pizza location and this my friends might be the best time of year to take in some of the action. NFL, NBA, MLB, and of course the NHL with the Stanley Cup final just around the corner. They're all in action. So head on over and take advantage of this great fall weather we're having and indulge in the summer feature menu on a BP patio. We've got your pizza flights, barbecue chicken nachos, buffalo cauliflower bites, pizza flights, and so much more, including my personal favorite, the playoff-sized fishbowl cocktails. You know the drill. Hit me or the Flames official account up on Twitter with this week's Boston Pizza bonus code. I'll pick a winner at random from all the correct entries and send you a DM with all the information you need. So without further ado, today's Boston Pizza bonus code is... Prospect. Prospect. Tweet that along with the hashtag Boston Pizza bonus and good luck. You talked about uh, getting the opportunity to to talk with some of the players and Matt Brown obviously getting that that opportunity too to be able to interview them ahead of time. When you're looking at bringing a guy into the organization and, and keeping in mind, of course, that these are still young kids, talent aside, what do you think is the most important trait when you're talking about a guy joining the Calgary Flames? Oh, I think there's lots <laughs> of them. And I think that the toughest thing, and we talk about this a lot, and I had three, I have three children who are grown now and uh, 
Um, the hardest thing with 17 year old is knowing that their brains are only 60, 65% developed and there's lots yeah. of mental maturity to go through. And for sure, some people, you know, you see an 18 year old kid, you say that, that kid mentality is a 30 year old and some are like 14 and some are right in between. So you're never fully comfortable. So that's why we do so much research. That's why we do the, the mental part with Matt Brown. That's why we do the strength and conditioning. That's why we, have interviews with the area scouts so they can delve in a little bit more. And you're, you're always trying to get information and it's not negative information. It's information that you can use when you draft a kid. So you know what limitations are in teaching or learning or what they need best to help motivate them. All those things that make a player, it's individual, right? So when you're coaching a player, you know, like you scream and yell at this guy, it's proven in the past. It doesn't work. Or this guy needs a little kick in the pants to get going those are the things you want to develop that mental profile. So the coaches and the development people, when they get them, they know what's going on. You know, we had a conversation last year. I was going to say around this time, but of course we're about five months behind. Um, But we talked about the uh, quote unquote cyclical nature of the draft talent. You know, some years you have Western league guys dominate the draft board. Other years it's college guys, the OHLQ on and on. Uh, Of course, last year it was the U S under 18 team that really took over the headlines. What trends have you picked up on this year? Well, I think it's spread out this year. I mean, it's it's unfair to the national development team program because they were so good last year. It's like yes. they don't have those high-end players this year. But, they, they, I mean, you know, they got some high-end players, but just not the depth that they did last year. Um, I think one of the trends this year that's a little bit different, and it's neat because you started last year with more Sider or German going uh, six overall, I believe. And there's three Germans again this year. So, yeah, for me, when you see the cycles – something like a country that hasn't been a traditional hockey player starting to produce top end players. I think that's neat because it leads to the world being bigger and you scouting more people. When you see players from California and Arizona and Vegas and Texas being on, it's cool because it means that the game's growing, right? So uh, the trend this year, I think is, uh, is that the Germans have made another, they're going to make some inroads again this year. And I think that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's spread out a little bit. The U.S. not as strong overall as far as the top end guys, but there's some really good players there and there's some really good players in the USHL that you don't hear as much about because they're in the USHL. But I think it's pretty wide open this year as far as leagues and, uh, and North, especially in North America. So we, we've kind of seen over the past few years the flames of drafted players that are now having a pretty significant impact on the big league roster. Uh, from a scout's perspective, and especially as you dig deeper into the draft, how do you weigh selecting players that you believe could make an immediate impact versus one that maybe would take a little bit more time to develop? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a great question. Cause that's always part of the conversation, right? And it's uh, again, it's, it's, it's our projections and our evaluations that we have to give to management so they can make that decision. And if they say, Hey, you know, this guy, you guys, he's going to be a good player, but he may take four to six years. Let's pass on him. Let's get somebody quicker. Um, those are all part of the evaluations. It doesn't mean you're always right or perfect, but at the end of the day, we want the best player who's going to play for the longest time. And again, that's, that's easier said than done. That's a nice mantra and a nice thing you can put on a, on a, on a board, whiteboard. But <laughs> the bottom line is you want to be as close to your evaluation as possible. And at the end of the day, you weigh all these things out, but you know, that's part of building the list. And we've had conversations again, we talk about, okay, will or skill or skill or will or the combination or top, does he have to have high end skill versus the, the leadership and the character? And that doesn't mean you can't have both, but usually when you have both and you've got some size, you're talking like top 10 picks, right? So um, 
I think it's all part of the conversation. Everything's part of the conversation, but uh, um, the longer it takes for a player to develop, and there's players that take some time, you just have to know that and be comfortable with that as an organization. So since I'm good at throwing the hypotheticals at you, I'll give you one more. Say you have like a whole boatload of draft picks going into a draft or, or several in the first round, for example. Are you more than willing or likely to swing for the fences for one because you have that extra currency? Or is it always kind of just as you said there, you stick to the game plan no matter what? Well, both. I still think you stick to the game plan, but for sure you can you can mitigate risk when you have – the more picks you have, the better you're out. There's no right. question about it, right? So um, – there, there became a time where you never took goalies in the first round. You never took them, right? You just didn't do it. And then uh, it became, you took goalies. If you had two, you take one in the first round because it'd be your second pick. So I think uh, the Tampa guy, they took, uh, I think, Slater Cuckoo at nine and then Vasilevsky at 19. So right. no, the, the risk was mitigated taking the goalie, right? If it's your only pick, you take him at nine, whatever that is, right? So we all, we're always talking about things like that. So um, a guy who's maybe one very high dimension skill, but he, maybe he's not good defensively or he doesn't have the greatest work ethic. Yeah, if you only have one pick and you don't have a second-round pick, you got to mitigate that risk. But, again, if you're on the same page as an organization and you're all talking in the same language, then you, you, can, you can make those picks. If you're not or there's any questions about whether you're willing to take that risk, then you might want to go safer. Absolutely. And uh, Todd, just last one for you here. Be remiss if I didn't talk about last year, five picks and all uh, headlined by Jacob Pelche in the first round. And you mentioned goalies. Of course, we can't not mention Dustin Wolf going in the seventh because that was a pretty spectacular moment. But uh, what caught your eye from that group and what they were able to show last year from a development standpoint? Well, I wish I wish I had seen him more. Obviously, I didn't because first the season got cut short. And, and sure. uh, you know, you, you only see your prospects year after if there's more prospects to watch. But I mean, Jacob had another uh, obviously great year and Wolfie, you know, like, I mean, that's a, it's a tremendous moment. We didn't pick it because of the moment. We picked it because we really believe in the guy as a player. And then he followed that up with CHL goaltender of the year. So everything in between the players, like we, we saw progress in everybody, right. Even from the, some of the guys from the year before. So um, our development staff gets on them and they set the plan in place. And uh, you know, outside of guys who get injured, you're, you're always looking for progress and it doesn't mean it's going to be a straight up progress. Sometimes guys take a step back halfway through the season and they pick it up or whatever. So um, for me, unless, I mean, I didn't see uh, Zavgarodny play from the year before, obviously the NHL guys, I didn't see. Foyk I saw play a couple of times. He was trying to find a spot in the, in the right lineup. So he gets some ice time. So I think, uh, I think overall, not just from this past draft, but I think for the most part, our guys are making good progress and, and I think when we talk to our development staff and the guys that see more management, uh, they're excited about these guys. Even the guys in the AHL made some progress. Ruzicka and Godin and guys like that, Manny Phillips. So I think overall, again, you're looking for not exponential growth every year, but you want to see it in, in, a, in a straight, in a line going forward. Great stuff. Todd, as always, thank you so much for your time. Uh, can't wait to get going. I'm kind of buzzing. I love draft time, so this is pretty fun. Uh, I hope to see you around the Dome sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks for having me.